Did I just get an amen for an apple? I think I just got an amen for an apple. It must be time change Sunday. How's everybody doing? Feels like it's an hour earlier, doesn't it? That's great. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. My name's Chad, and I'm one of the men on staff here at First Baptist in Owasso. Pastor Chris is out today with some well-deserved time away. I don't know if you heard, but Robin Wall, his wife, just this past week was, uh, was nominated or was actually declared the Owasso School District Teacher of the Year. And I think we ought to celebrate that. I think that's great. I think that's great. And we've been in a series uh, called Rooted for the past several weeks, really since the beginning of the year. We have this Sunday and next Sunday in the series called Rooted, and then after that, the series changes to a brand new series. It's a series you don't want to miss. It's going to be called This Is Us. We're going to look at four different characters from the life of Christ leading up to the to the uh, crucifixion and resurrection, and that begins in two weeks, and so I hope that you'll be here for that. But today, we're still in the series called Rooted, and what we've been seeing from the book of Acts is we've seen this remarkable gospel, this remarkable story of, of, of faith as it grows through the life of the church, in the lives of individuals, and through the life of the church. And so we've been seeing that week after week. And today we're going to see uh, another piece of that story is what it looks like for faith to grow in the life of individuals and in the life of the church. And one of the other things that we've been seeing is it's just a remarkable truth that of all the ways an omniscient, all-powerful God could choose to spread his love, to spread his mercy, to spread his grace, to spread the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that's the reason why we can be forgiven. And that as we receive that grace and that forgiveness, that that's only the start of the thing. That's the beginning of this new life we have in Christ. Of all the ways he could have chosen to share that message... He chose you, (laughs) and he chose me, and he chose us as the church together. And so that's what we've been seeing over these past several weeks. And so today, we're going to take a look at a, a single principle, a single principle that's found, it's actually illustrated in the book of Acts, but we're gonna see it from the book of Proverbs. And so if you would, turn to Proverbs chapter four with me. Proverbs chapter four is where we're gonna find the principle, and then we're gonna turn to Acts chapter five where we can see the story that illustrates all of this. And so out of honor for the reading of God's word, if you would stand with me, and let's read Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to read just one verse together this morning out of Proverbs chapter 4. And I promise you, if you can capture this principle, if you can capture this principle, if you can live by this one verse, then your walk with God will be closer. Your relationship with your spouse will be stronger. The understanding that you have between you and the life of your children will be better. And the, the effect that you have on your community will be really eternal. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's read this together. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. And as you're seated, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5, because Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to see this point or this principle illustrated. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart 
or keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. One of the things that I know for certain is that almost every time someone shows up in my office and they're having a problem of some kind, whether it's a marital problem or a problem with their kids or a problem with addiction or maybe it's a problem because they're looking at something they ought not look at or maybe it's a problem with their finances, maybe it's a problem between friends or maybe their job is, is, is out, of, uh, you know, out of sorts and they just don't know what to do. Every problem that, that, that is presented in my office almost always comes down some, at some level to this verse. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. So often I talk with people who in one way or another their heart has become hardened towards something or towards someone. When a marriage falls apart, Jesus himself said it's because somebody hardened their heart. They hardened their heart towards God and then they hardened their heart towards their spouse. When families fall apart, it's because someone in the family, it could be a brother or a sister, it could be a mom with a child, it could be a dad with a daughter, but somewhere, someone in the relationship just hardens their heart towards God and towards one another. When your job starts to fall apart, at some point your heart has gotten hard towards the job that you've been asked to do and the, or the money that you make or the boss that you have to deal with or the employees or the clients or you could fill in the blank. Every problem we face I think flows, flows out of this verse, Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And so today, we're going to see a story in Acts chapter 5 about something that happened in the lives of the disciples, something that happened in the life of the early church. And the reason why it happened is because there were two groups of people. And as we talk about these two groups of people, I think you're going to see yourself in one of these two groups of people. One group of people is the disciples. It's the people who are followers of Christ. The other group of people are the religious leaders of the day, the people who are supposed to know God's word, supposed to teach God's word, the ones who above all else ought to be teaching people how to guard their hearts. They ought to have their hearts guarded and they ought to be teaching people to do the same. We're going to show, we're going to see two different groups of people and out of it we're going to see the difference between someone whose heart is rooted in Christ and someone whose heart is rooted in self. You see, what happens is every time our heart is rooted in Christ, something beautiful grows. And every time, something, every time our heart is rooted in self, well, damage is done. And so let's look at Acts chapter 5 together, and we'll see the beginning of this story that is the story of the disciples and the story of the religious leaders, and it really is the story of us is really what this is. So let's look at Acts chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 12, and listen to what's happening inside the life of this church. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest there joined them. But the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's a remarkable passage of scripture. The disciples' presence in their community, people were being healed. There, were, there was hope being offered. There were people who were coming from the surrounding communities that were excited to hear the message that the disciples had to bring, and it's because miraculous things were taking place. If you remember last week, they had just, uh, Pastor Chris talked about Ananias and Sapphira and how there were people, they were giving of their, themselves and they were giving of their things and they were 
They were using their things for the benefit of others. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they had lied to God about the things that they were giving. And so God miraculously, he killed them on the spot because they were telling that lie because he was protecting the heart of the church. And what you see here in this first passage is you see that when your heart is rooted in Christ, when your heart is rooted in Christ, you bring life to your community. When your heart is rooted in Christ, you bring life to your community. Now, have you ever known anyone like that? Have you ever met someone that when you're around them, they just bring life to you? There are people in this church that it just seems like they bring life into the life of this church. Every time you see this set change, there's a group of people led by Debbie Neal and Helen DeClue. And they just show up by the droves. They're, I call them the little elves. They're elves that transform this worship center into, into an environment where we can worship our Heavenly Father. They, they, they create these incredible environments where we can experience the presence of God. And they just show up. And every time I'm with them, I'm asking them questions because, because they, they just bring life to me. Have you ever had someone in your business, in, in, in your workplace, that, man, if they were to leave, if they were to quit today, you would just feel like you've been kicked in the gut. That's actually, if you're a business leader, that's a great evaluation of your employees. If they came to you today and said, hey, I'm leaving, I've got to go to this other job, how kicked in the gut would you feel? If you feel like you'd be kicked in the gut, then maybe you should fight to keep them or maybe you should do your best to hold on to them because they're the kind of people that bring life into your organization. And if they're the kind of person that you don't feel any kick in your gut, <laughs> maybe you should release them to other ministries. <laughs> maybe you should do that. But but there are people in our world that bring life into their community. And when your heart's rooted in Christ, you're just like the disciples. You bring life into your community. Now, I want, to note, I want you to notice something about this, though. Look at this again with me. Verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest of them dared join them, and the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought men and women so that, uh, into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now, I don't know if that means that when his shadow fell on them that they were healed. There's absolutely something miraculous going on here. But when I say you bring life to your community... I don't mean that you're kind people doing kind things. You know, there's a lot of people in our community who are kind people, and they do kind things, but they're doing it apart from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, this is something supernatural that's happening through the power of these people. In, inside the life of Peter, his reputation was so strong, and the life that he bring, brought, the, even the shadow of his presence, just the shadow of his presence was enough to inspire hope and the belief that there was someone who could help and new health and new life into his community. And that doesn't happen just because he's a kind person doing kind things. It happened because of the power of God in him. It happened because of the power of God in him. It also happened because of the unity of the church that was with him. Did you notice what it said there in verse 13? Actually, just a little bit before that. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's, temp in Solomon's porch, Yet none of the rest dared join them. They were all unified, but they weren't all unanimous. They were all unified, but they weren't all uniform. That happens in the life of a church sometimes. Actually, you saw it illustrated with the musicians on the platform today. Through the unity of the church with you, when you step out into your community, when the shadow of your presence in your community goes out, you don't ever go alone, even though we may not all be together all the time. The reason why I say it was illustrated great by the musicians on the stage today, they were all together together 
but they weren't all unanimous. They weren't all uniform. Every instrument played a different note at a different rhythm. Some played melody. Some played harmony. Some had a counter melody. Some played rhythm. Some played, some played instruments that were loud. Some played instruments that were soft. But in the long run, what happened was they created beautiful music, not because they were all uniform, but because they were all unified around one song. That's what we do out in our community. We have this opportunity as the church to step out into our community and bring life into our community, and that's something that we do as a church on a regular basis. Now, last Sunday morning, we saw something miraculous happen in the life of our church, and we didn't know about it until Monday morning, and some of you may have heard about it because we did something on Facebook to celebrate it. Pastor Chris has been saying for the past couple of weeks, and it's just an observation. We were just looking at where we are with the, with the mission in Owasso. What an incredible ministry the mission is, and you've heard us talk about that. And we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, we realized that if just 500 people would give $1,000 each, we would be ready to break ground on the mission. That's what we're, that's what we're waiting for. We've, we're, the architectural plans are about finished, and, and all that's left really is the competitive bidding process and the breaking ground, but we can't really start that until the money shows up. So Chris has said that just a couple of, uh, couple of times over the past couple of weeks, and something miraculous happened this week, and we got to tell the people at the mission about it, Watch this video, and you'll see what, what I mean when I say through the unity of the church with you. Watch this with us. And the Lord has moved in the last three weeks, and uh, nobody knows it yet. And uh, we want to go tell these people who, we're at Wild Wednesday, so a lot of people are coming for food and help in and, and our yeah, community. Right, and and uh, so we want to tell them what God has done and I'm so excited to let you be a part of it if you're watching on Facebook Live. And, and, um, Thank you. And uh, it's really cool. So come on, let's go. Later, guys. All right, guys. Hey, can, can we take just a stop, stop for just a second? Um, last Sunday, we talked about God providing, God allowing us to use what we have to come together and, and, and serve the Lord. And... Um, and in the last three weeks, I just wanted you all to know that God has provided over $500,000 for the mission. And um, so I want you to know, and I want us to do this online, just, I, I thought, what a cool way to do this. To let, and I tried to do it in a way where I didn't let you know. I knew nothing. I know. And so if you're like just watching on Facebook Live, Laura Gorell like leads this and, and we we are gonna pray. I, I told Laura we're gonna come and pray today. But we wanted to tell you that I've never I don't know that if ever in the history of our church we have watched the Lord provide over five hundred thousand dollars in a two week period. But for in two weeks God has moved in the heart of our church and over $500,000 has been given to... So we called Craft and Toll on Monday and said, let's go. Let's go. And, um, and so here's what we're going to do next. We're going to pray together and just thank the Lord for his provision. Isn't that incredible? I think we should celebrate that. Can we celebrate that? That's amazing. 
the number now is actually a little over $540,000 that in a, in a two-week period has been given to the church to, to build the mission. And the shadow of your presence brings hope, help, and health into the life of our community. And the thing that's so amazing about that is, yeah, that's 500,000, that's a remarkable number. And we absolutely want to pause and celebrate and, and thank God for his gifts to us. And the reality is God provides for his people and his people faithfully provide for the work that he's called to do together. And that's exactly what he's done in us. He's, it's through the unity of us together that, that are accomplishing this. But what's remarkable isn't the number 500,000. What's remarkable is that ministry of the mission has been going and has never stopped since it started. Finances and money has never gotten in the way. All this money is designed to do is amplify that ministry, to take it out of a 1,300-square-foot facility and put it in a 10,000-square-foot facility. And that's what happens every time you give into the life of a church. Our, our, our prayer is, our desire, our hope is, is that, that ministry is already taking place. And that anything that's given really just takes the ministry that's happening and just amplifies it here, there, and everywhere. And so I think it's remarkable what God has done in you and through you. And it's the power of God in you and it's the unity of the church with you. Can we just celebrate that one more time? I'm just so excited about it. I think it's great. And let's just pause for a second. Let's just pause for a moment to pray and give thanks to God. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for the gifts that you've given to us and for your faithfulness to us that, that you really do provide for your people and that your people will faithfully provide for the work that you've called us to do together. And I pray that you would help us to keep our hearts, keep our church rooted in Christ so that we bring life into our community, so that just the shadow of our presence, just the rumor of our coming, God, let that be enough to inspire hope and and health inside our community. So I, I pray that you would do exactly what we've talked about, that what I've seen before, that you would do something in us and through us that can't be explained because of us. God, we've seen it happen. And so we just ask you to do it again. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, these weren't just kind people doing kind things because they were bringing life into their community. It was through the power of God in them, through the unity of the church with them. And it was also because, well, not because of it, but but because of believers that were growing out of them. There were believers, there were people coming to faith in Christ. So it's not just that they were sharing a cup of cold water and offering healing, it's that they were doing that in the name of Christ and through the power of Christ, and as a result of it, there were people who didn't know Christ who were intrigued and who were wondering, what is this that's going on? Tell me about this man. And they would be able to stop and tell them, it's Jesus. Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that's why you can be forgiven. And there's so much more than just a cup of cold water and so much more than this physical healing. There's this eternal healing that can come, and that's how they brought life into their community. It was more than kind people doing kind things. It was godly people carrying the Spirit of God everywhere that they went. And then see what the reaction of the religious leaders is. Beginning in verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Wait a minute, people are being healed of lifelong sicknesses. And the religious leaders of the day were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. You see, when your heart is rooted in Christ, you bring life to your community. But when your heart is rooted in yourself, when your heart is rooted in yourself, you're offended by the work of God. When your heart is rooted in yourself, you're offended by the work, you're offended by the words of God. 
How many times, remember guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. How many times have you been confronted with the reality that the problem that you face isn't about what's been done to you, it's about what's going on in you. And your response isn't to say, thank you, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Your response is to build one more wall to protect yourself, you think, that much more. These religious leaders were filled with indignation. They were mad. They were upset. They were offended by the word of God. They were offended by the work of God. These good things were happening to people. But they saw these good things as something bad for them because it reduced their power. It reduced their influence. It, it reduced what they thought was their significance. And the men who should have been teaching the truths of God's word found God's word offensive. How many times have you walked through the door of any church, not just this church, any church, and heard the word of God clearly spoken and set back when the invitation come and gone, yep, that's for them, it's not for me. How many times has that happened? You see, that's how you can tell the difference inside your heart. When your heart's rooted in Christ, you bring life to your community. When your heart's rooted in self, you get offended at the word of God. Let's look at the next section of this story beginning in verse 19. Listen to how the disciples respond. Remember, they're in prison now. So the disciples are now in prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders and the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. <laughs> now, this is kind of a funny section in Scripture. It's funny because the, the, the disciples are thrown into prison, and in the middle of the night, the, the prison door is completely thrown wide open, and by the next morning, the religious leaders of the day, they don't even know what happened. They sent to have everybody come to them. They didn't even realize that the, that the disciples had escaped, and they escaped, they escaped because God had freed them. Now, here's the thing that's remarkable about the disciples. <laughs> when they were freed, how many complaints did they have that they got thrown into prison? None. They didn't complain once. How many times did, they, did you hear them in this passage demand their rights? We have the right to this. You don't have the right to throw us into prison. You don't hear it even one time. And, and then the angel that opens the door of the prison for them says to them, hey, when you get out, you should go back to where you were and just keep on preaching. How many of us at the first sign of opposition would turn tail and run? How many of us, if we don't run, would just complain? How many of us would just have a bad attitude? And instead of bringing life to our community, we would become the source of contention in our community. How many of us would that happen for? You see, when your heart is rooted in Christ, this is what the disciples did. When, the, when your heart's rooted in Christ, convictions matter more than convenience. When your heart's rooted in Christ, convictions matter more than convenience. And because of their convictions... They didn't complain. Because of their convictions, they weren't afraid. Because of their convictions, they boldly stepped right back to where they were supposed to go. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And what did they do? They brought life into their community. Did you see that? It says, and they spoke the words of life into these people. How were they able to do that? Because conviction to them mattered more than convenience. And you know what happened? This prison that was designed to contain them became the method of their freedom. Their convictions are what brought freedom. 
It wasn't about the circumstance that they were in. It was about the God that they served. It wasn't about the problem that they faced. It was about the power of God in them and through them doing something that can't be explained because of them. They found freedom because they followed their convictions. Look at the next, the next section, verse 22. But when the, officers, uh, when the officers came and did not find them in the prison... They returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people. Lest, uh, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other disciples answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior." to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. So here's the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Here's the chief guard. They don't know where these people are. The, for the disciples, the door's been opened wide. Because their convictions matter more than their convenience, they're not worried about what's going to happen next, and they're not complaining about it. They simply go preach and teach right where they're supposed to go. They're, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But the response of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is interesting. The response of the, of the religious leaders is amazing. These are the people who... In their culture, in their society, they were wealthy people. They were powerful people. They were influential people. These religious leaders weren't the ones in prison. But somehow in their heart, they found themselves imprisoned. Why is that? Well, it's because when your heart is rooted in yourself, you're imprisoned by fear and you're imprisoned by frustration and you're imprisoned by confusion. They didn't have any idea what, what's going on, what happened, where are they, where'd they go? And you're imprisoned by guilt. When your heart's rooted in yourself, you may look free, you may be wealthy, you may be powerful, you may be influential, you may be somebody people talk about, but somehow you keep finding yourself in this prison of fear, frustration, confusion, and guilt. Why is that? Well, I have a friend who says it's because money can't buy happiness. It can just buy a better quality of misery. It's true. It can't buy happiness. It just can buy a better quality of misery. And that's what these men experienced. And, the, and again, because the disciples valued their convictions over their convenience, one more time these religious leaders look at them and say, didn't we command you to just shut up? And the first time they said that, the answer was really simple. It was, well, hey, we can't help but speak of the things that God's told us about. That was back over a few chapters earlier, the first time they were arrested for their faith. But now they're quite a bit more pointed. They're quite a bit more direct. They're saying to the ones who ought to be teaching this principle, the thing they ought to know, but they don't. Ought, shouldn't we obey men? I mean, shouldn't we obey God rather than obeying men? Isn't that, shouldn't that be what we should do? And they just held in their face the truth of God. And yet again, these religious leaders 
because their heart was rooted in themselves rather than rooted in Christ, yet one more time they're offended by the Word of God. And the offense caused them to be filled with fear and frustration, confusion, and guilt. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That's just two of them. Where's your heart right now? Out of those two things so far that we've talked Are you the kind of person whose heart is rooted in Christ? Does the very shadow of your presence, the rumor of your coming, bring help and hope and health to your community? Is your heart rooted in Christ? Are your convictions more more important to you than your convenience? Is the temperature in here 72 degrees? Ah, I really am more comfortable at 74. Ah, No, 70 is really my gig. I'd really rather have it. Says your convictions, are your convictions more important than your convenience? Or are you more like the ones whose heart is rooted in self? Are you imprisoned by fear, frustration, confusion, and guilt? Are you offended? Are you offended by the word and the work of God? Let's keep telling the story, beginning in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Verse 34. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Try that with me. Gamaliel. Oh, you can do better than that. Say that with me. Gamaliel. Yeah, that's a hard name to say, hard to spell. But his name was Gamaliel, uh, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God." And they agreed with them, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So here's the next idea. We're going to see another heart rooted in self this time. Because Gamaliel, Gamaliel is a name that may be familiar to you because there's a man named Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote one-third of the New Testament. He, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And as Saul, he was one of these religious leaders. I don't know that he was there during this day. I don't think he was in the room at this time. But, he, it, but it's said of Paul that his mentor in the faith, his mentor in the religious things, was Gamaliel. So here's Gamaliel. He's wise. He's respected. He's known as a teacher. He's a lawyer. He knows he's well-educated. He knows all these things. And he rises to stand to give what sounds like sage wisdom. If you let these men go and just let them go, if it's from God, it won't fail. And you'd be foolish to try to stand against it. If it's from men, it won't succeed. It'll go for a little while and then it'll fall apart. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. Gamaliel is a man whose heart was rooted in self. And when your heart is rooted in self, you, begin, you, you become fooled by fake wisdom. You become fooled by fake wisdom. Gamaliel gave what sounded like genuine wisdom. If God's in it, it won't fail. Well, that's accurate. That has the ring of truth to it. If God's in it, it won't fail. That's completely true. That's not the fake wisdom. It's the second part. 
You see, that's sometimes how Satan works. He'll teach you, he'll, he'll feed you, he'll tell you the truth long enough to get you to believe the lie. And sometimes, don't you do that? You'll tell yourself the truth long enough to get yourself to believe the lie. Or you'll listen to someone who will tell you the truth long enough to get you to believe the lie. It's actually one of the challenges with fake news and false news reports is that there's just enough truth in it to get you to believe the lie. And that's exactly what happened with Gamaliel. I'm certain that he believed this with his whole heart. It actually was a pattern for people in that culture. They believed that success was the measure of the favor of God. So if God's in it, it won't fail. That's absolutely true. That's the truth designed to get you to believe the falsehood. What's the falsehood? Well, the falsehood is that God's measure of success is survival. God's measure of success, God's, the measure of God's favor is success. That's, that's not really true, and I can prove that. The nation of Islam, the religion of Islam, has been tremendously successful in our world and continues to grow to this day. Is that an example of the favor of God on Islam? Let me see if I can get one that's a little bit more close to home. Success gave us President Donald Trump. And success gave us President Barack Obama. Now, which one of those two, don't answer out loud, <laughs> which one of those two is an example of the favor of God? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that out loud either. Um, but you see what I mean? Success is not God's standard. Survival is not God's standard. It's not the standard for his favor. And so the people followed, the religious leaders, they followed Gamaliel's advice. And part of it was true. It had the ring of truth. It was based in truth, but he fed them enough truth that the lie is where they lived. The lies where they lived. Why? Because when your heart is rooted in self, it's easy for you to be fooled into believing fake wisdom. Let's finish the story. Remember in verse 40, and they agreed, the religious leaders agreed with Gamaliel, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the disciples departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. When your heart is rooted in yourself, you get fooled into believing false wisdom. But when your heart is rooted in Christ, sacrifice is something worth celebrating. Sacrifice is something to celebrate. <laughs> That is so backwards from what we as American believers believe. We have this tendency to believe that if we just follow God, everything will be all right. And it will in eternity. But today there's more. And it says right here that these men and women, they considered it, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. They considered it, they considered it something to rejoice over that they, that they would bear shame for his name. Sacrifice. Giving more than you think you can afford and trusting God to provide. Now financially, over the past two weeks, our church has seen people do that. 
There are people all over our church who have given more than they think they can afford, and financially they're trusting God to provide. That's a sacrifice that's been made. I have yet to see God not honor a sacrifice like that. These men were beaten for their faith. Now, we're not talking about just a, you know, a couple of swings. We're talking lashes with a whip. We're talking about the kinds of things that leave permanent scars and do permanent damage. Several hundred years later, there's a Roman emperor who becomes a believer. He's the first Roman emperor who becomes a believer, and his name is Constantine. And after Constantine, religious leaders who have been persecuted, they've been thrown to lions, they've been killed in the gladiator games, they've been beaten and abused, their stuff has been taken, they've been robbed and and. and, and and they've been treated with all kinds of abuse. And so these pastors who've been in chains and these pastors who have suffered at the hands of these, these beatings, they come together after Christianity by Constantine is made legal. They come to the city of Nicaea to, to, to have this council. And out of that, we get a formal declaration of faith that we call the Nicene Creed. And I've often wondered what that assembling of pastors and people of faith must have looked like. I wonder if they walked in, and some walked in on their cane because of the damage that had been done under one beating to their leg. I wonder if one had to sign his name to the creed with his left hand because his right hand had been removed. I wonder if they exchanged stories. Hey, the reason my nose is this way instead of straight is because of that time when I was thrown in jail for my faith. I wonder how your faith will fare when persecution really comes. Man, the temperature in the room's too hot. I'm being persecuted. I should probably just go home today. Man, we lost an hour of sleep today. I should probably just stay home and catch up and rest. I, you know, my boss, he doesn't really want me to talk about my faith that much at work, and so I'm afraid that he's going to give me a bad review. You know, I don't think I could share the gospel on the ball field because that's not what guys do when they're on the ball field. We don't talk about Jesus on the ball field, right? They might make fun of me. No. These people were beaten for their faith. When your heart is rooted in self, when your heart's rooted in self, you get offended by the word of God and the work of God. And when your heart's rooted in yourself, you get imprisoned. You get imprisoned by fear and frustration and confusion and guilt. And when you... When your heart is rooted in self, gosh, when your heart is rooted in self, you get fooled into believing such false wisdom. You don't guard your heart because out of it spring all the issues of life. And you know, there's really only one solution to a heart that's broken like this. I've done a lot of damage to it today. There's pieces all over the floor up here and there's not one thing, <laughs> there's not one thing I can do to put this heart back together again. But I know the one who can. You see, when your heart's rooted in Christ, you bring life to your community. And when your heart's rooted in Christ, Oh, when your heart's rooted in Christ, you find this freedom, and it's the freedom that comes when your convictions matter more than your convenience, and when your heart's rooted in Christ, you have this ability to celebrate sacrifice. Well, what should I sacrifice today, God? What should I sacrifice today? What if the sacrifice that you made today was simply this broken heart that you have? God, it's broken. 
It's beaten, it's abused, it's worn, it's tattered, it's not worth anything, but it's all I've got. And so what if you simply offered that up to God and said, Father, I surrender. I surrender to your will, I surrender to your way, whatever it is you ask of me today, I'll say yes. It's a sacrifice because you're giving up. It's my only heart. It's the only one I've got. You're giving up more than you think you can afford, but you are so trusting God to provide. And then the scripture says in Isaiah that when we, when we surrender like that, that God takes our heart of stone and he removes it and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. How did he do that? Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And he did that to guard your heart. He did that to give you a brand new heart. So I don't know how broken and how battered and how bruised and how worn your heart is today. I don't know what kind of walls you've tried to build around it to make yourself feel good, but stop it. Won't you just stop it and surrender and sacrifice that heart that's so broken to him? If you're a believer, there's no need for you to inflict these kinds of wounds on yourself or anyone else anymore. You have a new heart. You can surrender it to him. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're beginning an invitation time, and all an invitation time is is a time to respond. It's a time to look to our Heavenly Father and to say to Him, I believe what you said today. I believe what your word told me today. I want my heart to be rooted in Christ, not rooted in myself. I want to guard my heart with all diligence because I know every issue I face keeps coming back, and it keeps coming out of this old wounded heart. So God, would you give me a new heart today? If you're not a believer today, that's really all it takes. Just look to your heavenly Father and say, Father, please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. If you are a believer today, then ask God to help you be that life in your community. Help God to free you through your convictions. Ask God to help you to to celebrate the sacrifice that he's asking, that he asks you to make. And find the freedom that comes from this new life we've been given in Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to sing. And that's your moment to respond. If you need to place your faith in Christ, come forward and take the hand of one of these men down front and tell them, I just, I need Jesus. And they'll be glad to talk with you more about it. If you need some other help, you can come forward. You can talk to these men about it and they'll help you. They'll point you in the right direction. They'll pray with you. Some of you may need to come to the altar to pray. Some of you may need to deal with God right there where you are. But let this song be a time of response and recognize that in this moment, you have an opportunity to encounter the marvelous, matchless, wonderful grace of Jesus Christ in a way that transforms your heart like you could never imagine.